Welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and each week you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. At the end of each episode we'll send you away with three practical tips. It's perfect for parents, carers and professionals working with children. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read our wide range of free resources on the My Family Coach website. I'm joined this week by Richard Bell. Richard is the founder and director of Neuroeducation and specialises in supporting schools and professionals working with children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities, as well as social, emotional, mental health difficulties. Richard delivers a wide range of training courses to schools, professionals, and also lectures at a number of universities. We are talking this week about behaviour and attachments. Enjoy the episode. Hi Richard, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. It's really, really good to see you this morning. And I was just chatting off air to you actually about how excited I am about this topic that we're talking about today, uh, which is children and uh, attachments. Um, we like to start the podcast just with a quick recommendation of a book for parents listening. Yeah, so um, I actually have on our website, we have a recommended reading page. um, And I'm sure you'd be great enough to put that at the bottom of um, a link somewhere. But I think with regards to attachment, um, I have always recommended uh, a book uh, by Colby Pierce, uh, A Short Introduction to Attachment Attachment Disorder. It's really accessible. It's um, it breaks it down very simple. Um, so any parent, carer, or professional can access that book. Um, so yeah, that'll be a really good one to read. Brilliant. We'll put that at the bottom of the notes and a link to your um, resources. I was so sure that you were going to say Louise Bomber. I was like in my head, like 100%. <laughs> the thing is, Claire, there's so <laughs> many out there on attachments um, and attachment disorders. But um, so if you if you, if anybody did look around, you, you'd be inundated with options. So um, always worth a Google or an Amazon search. Yeah, and I, I think that the one that you've chosen, I don't know it in particular, but I've read a few introduction to kind of series of different topics. And it's just, it's much more accessible than some of the more lengthy textbooks of the of the topics. Yeah, ultimately, you don't want to go into too much science um, for, for those that want to be able to understand it um, and relate it to their own practice as well. So but that one's a really good, um, good accessible one to go for. Perfect. Well, I'm going to look it up. I get recommended books myself on here. I'm like, oh, that's one uh, for me to read. A quick chat about your experience in this topic, uh, Richard. Yeah, so um, I first started my career actually in uh, prisons and probation. Um, So working with offenders in custody, uh, but also supporting them um, into uh, the community. So we did a lot of uh, resettlement work. So kind of working sort of with the um, attachment difficulties um, for offenders really. Um, And then started working with younger, um, the generation, um, started working as a behavior mentor, um, branched into behavior management, uh, really struggled with the mainstream environment. Um, I think kind of, you either love it or you hate it. but then set up a, a education business and we set up an alternative provision uh, for young people with SEMH and SEND needs. Um, we actually turned that into an independent school. Um, and yeah, so a lot of the young people that we've uh, we've worked with, um, whether it be in our school or as part of our outreach uh, service, uh, 
it's it's clear that some have secure attachments, some have insecure attachments, um, and that can be through what they present, um, the behaviours that they present, the behaviours that they communicate to us, um, and just linking that with um the, the source of things and where where has that attachment come from um so yeah it's, it's been kind of over the last sort of 15 years really working with at-risk individuals that have got some form of um either secure or insecure attachment style that's really interesting the the yeah the leap from you know prison probation service into education and then yeah further afield but you must yeah, have it, it's uh, it, it was quite it was quite a change for me, but ultimately, a lot of the um, older sort of adults were saying, look, if I had the right support, if I had the right guidance when I was younger um, in education, didn't get on with education because we we know that there's a massive link between um, kind of learning difficulties and offending. Um, so if they got the, the support and they got the guidance, then they probably wouldn't have been in that situation. So I kind of felt like rather than um, kind of picking them up at the bottom of the hill let's sort of like move further up the hill and pick them up a little bit younger and um and sort of guide them um and and, and offer that support so yeah it, it seems to the last 10 years have been in education working with young people brilliant and i wondered if you could just give a, just a bit of an overview about um what social emotional mental health needs semh needs um kind of means just for parents carers listening yeah, so um, it's it's a very broad kind of um, topic, but I, I'm pleased that it's starting to become a lot more prevalent. Um, so for the parents that are listening, uh, social, emotional and mental health is, is young people that are just struggling to cope with sort of mainstream environments, really. Um, they might have um, certain difficulties that they're struggling to overcome, um, whether that be anxiety, uh, whether that be um stress related um it might be certain phobias it might be similar to what we're going to be talking about today is attachment um and how they struggle with potentially building up relationships with people um they might struggle with their uh, emotional regulation uh, they might um kind of really struggle with change as well uh, a lot of our young people really struggle with change and there's when you look at mainstream education there's a uh, it's a big old place you, you potentially got sort of 1500 children um and some young people really struggle with that environment um, and when we set up um our independent school it it was we had six seven in the classroom um there was only 25 students in the school um each um so you had a consistent approach with members of staff mm. um so they knew where they were um, and, and it just seemed to work better for those with social, emotional, mental health. And, and you can be a lot more responsive to their needs as well. Um, you, you're there to support them. You, it becomes very focused on the child's needs, uh, meeting the child's needs. You, you, you can build up that relationship with them a lot more succinctly and you can become more engaged to the child's needs. And, and that kind of links into the attachment. Um, it, it becomes a trusting relationship. Um, and that environment really suits um, a lot of young people with SEMH. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of young people in mainstream that do have SEMH, but present it completely differently and could kind of skew under the radar, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about sort of being able to target that intervention and target that support based on their needs. You've mentioned a few times there around that 
you know, social, emotional, mental health bracket and, and those that might have attachment difficulties, you know, might be put under that bracket. And as you said, it is a big, broad <laughs> umbrella, isn't it? And and I suppose if we're going back a few years, it used to be emotional behavioural difficulties, EBD. Did, yeah. You go back further, you, delinquents and, you, you know, yeah, further than that. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and I'm sure it'll change again in the future. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it is it's becoming more prevalent. I mean, it's it's more recognised within education, health and care plans as well um, as a as a priority need, mm-hmm. um, which is which is reassuring because ultimately, if a young person, as many parents uh, will, will identify in their own children, is that if they've got social, emotional, mental health, that has a massive impact on their ability to access education. And um, you, you could have somebody that's very, very bright, very able, um, but with their SEMH difficulties, um, struggle to access their education. Um, and that can be really stressful and um, an anxious time for the parents as well. So um, it's it's nice to know that uh, SEMH is becoming a lot more prominent within schools and certainly EHGPs as well. Yeah, so, so families can get the support they need for themselves as well as for the child young person and as well as schools receiving support so it's that wraparound care and that's something I noticed actually in the information that you know I've looked up you know around you is that idea that you do lots of wraparound care in your business that you run in supporting um, individuals so I've just wondered I know we talked off air a little bit about this but um, I just wondered if you could just talk a bit a little bit about how you might um, support parents carers and also support schools around attachments because I think that's a really interesting bridge um, that, that we noticed. Yeah you've, you've literally just took the words out of my, my mouth it's uh, we, we bridge that gap really between home and school um, we we offer multi-specialist um, outreach support to the schools but as as many school um, staff will will see is that there's a big question mark about well what happens after three o'clock when they go home um we can't always see what's um, what the needs the students have um, the young people have at home and and actually how can you identify the needs based on just one environment um so what we tend to do is we we connect with the parents and um, the carers and go to the home environment and and support them just as much as the school because um it can be really difficult time for parents and carers um we do kind of offer them that intervention just as much as we offer the school and we are also quite transparent with the notes that we take and the offer that we have so parents are always going to be involved in those um those advisories that we offer the school because ultimately if they're struggling at home they can implement that and it creates that consistency approach um because attachment is all about building up trusting emotional bonds with with each other and Mm -hmm. um you you tend to see that certainly in primary school when you get that nurturing sort of element of it um you build up that really good relationship and if if the school are offering the same intervention as the as the home that's really beneficial to the young person because ultimately they're seeing um consistency and they understand effective boundaries um and it it creates that safety um Mm. a a lot of attachment is about is around safety and if the child feels safe then that builds up their secure attachment um so yeah we do a lot of work with parents and carers um and bridge that gap and it's also relevant for school staff to know um as being a school leader and working in schools before it's it's really difficult to to kind of dedicate that time to understand what is happening at home and you get little snippets of phone calls from parents and carers but ultimately if you've got somebody that kind of bounces that information between the two 
then that's that's um, beneficial for both parties really yes everyone's on the same page and i mean i run lots of training for lots of different organizations as well as families and, and carers and the one word that comes up is things around consistency and struggling with consistency so it's really interesting that that's part of your model of trying to build that within family yeah. It's a very cliche kind of topic. It's, uh, it's, um, it's a very super nanny kind of uh, phrase. But um, I think it's not about, I put a note on kind of just uh, in preparation for this. It's, it's not about discipline. Like boundaries aren't about discipline. It's, um, kind of consistency isn't about discipline. It's not about sort of control. It's about security. Um, yeah. there's, there's a lot of young people that are, certainly with attachment difficulties um they're very hyper vigilant to their surroundings they're very kind of aware of all the change all the differences um and you'll always have teachers that kind of say well um oh so and so spotted i'm wearing a new tie this morning um or you you kind of your hair's different what's going on sir um and it's all about they, they are hyper vigilant to that because it's a defense mechanism for them um and if they feel secure if they feel that there's some consistency that that kind of that demonst is demonstrated through their abilities to feel relaxed, uh, abilities to regulate themselves. Um, so it's, it's really important. Uh, consistency is, is more about security and safety for that young person. Yeah, that's really nice to add in because I think there is an immediate leap, isn't there? Consistency to discipline boundaries. But actually, yeah. I like the way that you've really framed that. I wondered if we could, I mean, everyone's used to me interviewing on the podcast, doing everything in a weird Claire kind of order, but I wondered if we could do maybe just a, a quick definition of uh, attachments. I think it's pretty clear from what we've been talking about, but just a, like a layman's term, what what are attachments? What, what does it mean for people at home, people in school? Yeah, so, so attachment is, is basically, it, it's developing a trusting emotional bond um, between another person basically so it's not just about parents it could be a caregiver it could be um another sort of relative it could be a teacher um but it's that person is offering emotional physical and psychological um kind of meeting the emotional physical and psychological needs of that child um and it's, it's about being available and present to those needs as well. So it's not meeting them intermittently. It's that child is dependent on that individual. So attachment is all around um, that person meeting those those vital, um, vital needs of that child, really. Yeah. And I know that some people listening might be wondering what what those kind of vital needs are. So what 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 is it that that children need? Yeah, um, so a lot, really. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, ultimately, I think that the important thing is, is that, and we do a lot, because the reason why we call ourselves neuroeducation is because we look at things through a cognitive lens. Um, so everything is relating to how the brain is developing, and it's such a vital time during childhood. Um, there's, um, without going into too much science, our brain uh, as a child is developing through synaptic connections. Um, and that is developing based on the stimuli that they're receiving. So ultimately, if um, if they're having their needs met by they're upset, they're being consoled, they're kind of, um, they're being cuddled, there's an arm wrapped around them, they feel safe. Um, mm -hmm. They know that they are um, okay in that environment. They could, that's process of co-regulation, but it's teaching them to self-regulate. So ultimately, if they're having their emotional uh, emotions met, 
and um, during either stressful um, time, um, kind of during uh, when they're scared, but also during kind of times when they're happy and they're excited is that there's a lot of young people that um, don't know kind of how to respond due to excitement, uh, mm. but also how to kind of tone it down after that excitement as well. So it, that co-regulation is meeting those needs and developing that young person to become a, an independent person. Um, so that that's kind of the emotional elements to it, um, but also the physical needs. Uh, attachment is just being there to make sure that they're kind of fed, um, to make sure that they're kind of, they've got a nice warm kind of um, bed at night and they've got clean clothes. And, um, and, and again, that, element of attachment uh, and knowing that that person there is a, a trusting person that's going to get them dressed at night is going to be able to um, feed them um, kind of during the day that's that creates that reassurance for them that they're looked after and that they're in a safe environment um it, it's just about kind of yeah building up relationships um and and having their needs met basically so it, it it then goes into sort of how does that young person develop as they're getting into a young adult mm. and, and an adult. So once they've learned how to respond to their emotions, once they've got that caring relationship with trusting adults, then there is massive links between that and self-esteem and self-confidence and independent living and um, kind of just having uh, being able to build effective relationships and responding to their emotions. And, and all of that is stemming from how they've, develop their brain to understand all that when they were younger um and um it is it, it's it's i could I, and we were talking about this off air we could go on for this forever but um i think one of the things that um i always like to link it to is that uh, there's a i don't know whether you've seen it claire but there's an experiment on youtube you can still look it up it's mm. called the still face experiment yeah yeah it's still around um, yeah yeah and um it's it's a great clip to demonstrate how connection to a, a young person and to be fair it is a baby at that time but um kind of there's billions of synaptic connections going on um during the baby phase and this uh, this short clip i think it's only two and a half minutes mm. but it's basically kind of a, a parent um, looking at their child smiling interacting the baby's very happy engaged in that interaction and then the um, parent just drops all of their emotions and the stress that that causes that baby, because ultimately they're not getting the needs met. They're, they're wondering, well, actually, that's not consistent with what I'm used to my mum kind of offering me, my parent offering me or my caregiver offering me. Um, and that is a really good example of attachment um, and how the difference between secure attachment and insecure attachment can be based on just simple interaction, but changing in cons um, change of consistencies with interaction with caregivers as well. Yeah, I, I was interviewing someone recently about sleep. It is related, don't worry. I'm not going off on a massive uh, tangent. Yeah, yeah. I said off air that I might, but I'm not going to. But it was interesting where, where she talked about those relationships and she talked about consistency in bedtime routines and how all of those things help with connection. And it was really interesting that actually even like the sleep routines that, that we talked about on that episode kind of cross over in, into this, don't they? Because those routines, that consistency, that care, you know, that, that safety feeds into that and it, it, Yeah, and it just makes the young person um, know that. Uh, and again, it's, it's all about co-regulation, self-regulation is that it's bedtime now. Okay, let's let's go and put yourself to bed. Let's go through the routine. Let's read a book. Um, and just that in, um, kind of relationship of just sat with a child reading a book at bedtime 
is co-regulation to get them settled ready for bed and as that a child turns into a young adult they, they've learned that right okay well actually when I was doing this it's not a, a conscious thing mm. you don't get as an adult as like when I was when I was younger I, I read um, kind of my parents read a book to me it's like it, it becomes a conscious uh, understanding that well, I need to do something to regulate myself when I'm tired. Um, and um, again, it's learned through that secure attachment. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very, very important process when, when um, you're younger. And I think it is really worth saying to anyone listening, because sometimes we can try and go to perfection and think that we have to give all of that care, um, you know, physiological um emotional care perfectly but it's about being good enough caregivers isn't it giving enough so that those interactions are good enough for yeah. you know that for the future yeah it, it's about being present um and without going into top tips too early it's um it is it's, it's about being present and it's about communicating um and I, as a parent myself i, I we're all guilty of not always being present and um it's but it's about kind of making so that it's not a bad thing to have that distance because ultimately again that's creating um strong attachments for a young person um that actually they can't always rely on you they're not always going to be able to rely on you and that's expectations and boundaries it's not an insecure attachment by you going off into the kitchen quickly to make yourself a drink um that child is it, building up um confidence in that child to be able to do things independently um it only becomes an insecure attachment if those needs are regularly met or the child kind of feels that they're not uh, there's a sense of uh, or lack of belonging in the family um or in that environment um and um yeah that that that's when insecure attachments are presented Tell me a bit more about insecure attachments. What what might that look like uh, at home, at school? How might the child present? Um, yeah, so insecure attachments, it, it, it's presented. And again, this is very broad because ultimately if, if parents are listening to this or professionals listen to this and go, well, actually, no, that sounds like my child. That doesn't necessarily mean that they've got insecure attachments. You, um, even those with secure attachment styles can have an element of insecure attachment, um, whether it be a... a, a a difficult experience when we were younger, our close friend moved away when we were a child, so that impacted on our relationships kind of and our confidence and build. So I don't want people to think that, right, okay, actually that sounds like my child, they must have insecure attachment and then blame themselves as a parent. So mm. I just want to kind of say that because um, <laughs> I think sometimes it's really, as parents, we do start kind of head scratching and and it can be easy to blame ourselves, can't it? But I think with, with insecure attachments, like we were talking about if they haven't been able to regulate if they haven't been kind of um been supported with responding to their emotions if they haven't had their basic physical needs met or psychological needs met they can have poor sense of self um they can have really difficult kind of uh, self-esteem and self-confidence they might not want to um kind of put the hand up um in class they might not want to get involved in clubs outside of school they might not want to go and kind of um say hello to um people that you are happy and that the kind of the, you've already got a relationship with them they might have that sort of social anxiety to go and explore um they like we mentioned earlier they might be hyper vigilant to their environment so they're always kind of looking around them they're always kind of very cautious to change um they don't like change they might be quite impulsive as well um 
like we talked about, if they haven't, again, if they haven't had that support to regulate their emotions um, with a caregiver, um, they can be quite impulsive. Um, they can be, um, they might really struggle to sort of regulate their emotions. And, and therefore they have a lack of self-awareness as well. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, there's a massive list. I mean, like we talked about sustaining relationships, making uh, good relationships, mm. trusting others. Um, if they've come kind of through as a child where they've not had that trusting relationship with their caregivers, then they're less likely to trust others. Um, they might be very cautious of the the um, agenda of another person. Um, and that's agenda, not gender. Um, <laughs> they might have social communication difficulties. So obviously, if um, if a if they've been brought up in an environment where they're not engaged effectively by caregivers, um, then that is going to impact on their own communication skills. Um, there's major links between facial expressions and communication. Um, and if as caregivers, and again, I'm going to hold my hands up to this. Um, we're all look, staring at our phones for several hours in an evening and we're not interacting with the child. Um, or if we're kind of talking without actually engaging kind of um, eye contact, um, then actually that can really impact on the communication skills of that young person moving forward. Um, they, they might even sort of un insecure attachments, they might even come across as over familiar or clingy. So that's um, quite, um, it relates to ambivalent attachment. And again, I'm not going to go into too much of um, the, the types, um, especially if you're reading books and stuff, but amb ambivalent attachment, it might be the fact that they've not had their needs met as they're younger. Um, so they've actually become quite independent themselves, but they, they are very fearful of um, a caregiver or a potential caregiver um, mm -hmm. that they're going to get forgotten about. Um, so they might do a lot of things. They might come running up to you at break time at school. They might kind of um, be seeking kind of affection quite regularly and almost become a little bit, it looks um, over the top um, and um, and a little bit clingy, but that's an ambivalent attachment. And, and actually we had a young person that I was working with at our school and uh, they kept bringing up the school on the um, landline and they mm. kept emailing and, um, and that's ambivalent attachment. Um, they, they don't want us to forget about them. Um, we, we are meeting their emotional and physical needs at the school. So we, we become a trusting caregiver for them. Um, but they are paranoid that during that time, they, they haven't got the concept that actually we can still think about them without them being present. Um, and they then become needy. And, and some parents might see that in their child where they're ringing them up several times a day just because they need that mm. connection they need that attachment um with their caregiver um and there's there's something called disorganized attachment style as well where that child might present as very erratic and they might kind of um respond or demonstrate quite bizarre emotions mm. um and that's all about kind of look at me kind of and, and i really struggle with the whole um oh they're just uh, attention seeking I don't like that phrase because ultimately it's attention needing. They are needing attention at that time. They're just presenting it in a different way that um, they're like, oh, look at me. I'm going to really kind of play up. I'm going to make it look really dangerous. I'm going to do this because I know that if I do this, you're going to come and give me that attention that I need. So it's not attention seeking, it's attention needing. And if we, if we give that attention that they're seeking, then ultimately it's likely to kind of reduce the amount of... Um, 
sort of disorganized and quite chaotic um, activities that they're going to kind of get involved in really so I, I don't know whether that's kind of giving it a broad sort of what insecure attachments look like but I think to be fair that that list could um, could go on and on um, and you might find that well this child presents it in this way this child presents it in a completely different way because we we know um, that ultimately uh, one child might be hypervigilant to their environment and be very anxious um, so they internalize that anxiety whereas other people externalize their anxiety and communicate it in a different ways. so it's, it's a really minefield to identify really the theme that comes up on the podcast as well as things around consistency actually is about individuals and even when we're thinking about our own children young people whether we're professionals thinking about children young people that we work with it is about the individual and how they present and I'm sure with attachment styles like that one day someone might be more um, on the ambivalent scale another day on, on another scale and you know and, and I'm sure we all as adults um, relate to those attachment styles uh, in a way as well Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing is that it's not just in relation to um, to children and and it can be really difficult for uh, when we're talking about engaging in emotions um, and, and having that sort of safety of talking about emotions and being present. It, it can be really difficult for some caregivers that, who haven't had that themselves. And mm. um, it might be really difficult where they've grown up, where they're not they're not allowed to talk about emotions or they're not allowed to be kind of upset it's um it's not acceptable to be upset or crying so ultimately to then expect that caregiver to to offer that um to their own child it can be really difficult time for them and um it's it's about kind of doing the best what with what they've got ultimately and um and that's why it's really important to have um to have that understanding that there is times where ultimately you can be a little bit more um, attached to that child there, there might be times where you spend a lot more time with that child because actually I'm going to sit and play with trains because it interests me um, but also just that engagement with that child um, I don't have any interest with what my daughters were watching when they were um, kind of younger but to sit there and watch it with them they knew that I was there I was secure kind of I was cuddling them at the time um, but yeah watching repeats of Sophia the first and princess kind of films it's um, it wears you out after a while so so uh, yeah, it's it's about being present, even though you may not be engaging in what they're involved in. It's just about being present at the time. Being there, being present. I've I've talked about it on the podcast before, but a sense of fun as well. That you yeah. know, even if you do, you know, I've watched some old good old rubbish stuff with um, my family, <laughs> and um, but just having fun with it, just going with it. I can get into anything, you know. Um, I, I think it, that's the thing because when people talk about emotions, they always kind of resort to negative emotions. Hmm. When actually, sort of building up again, attack, secure attachment is allowing a young child to be silly and feel confident about being silly and being creative and um, allowing them to get mud on their knees and mud on their fingers and stuff like that, because it it makes them know that what they are doing is safe. Um, So I think it's really important to to consider the the fun side of um, emotions, not necessarily the the hardship and the difficult emotions. I think that there is, I mean, obviously it's emotions are a spectrum. And I think as well as, focusing on the positive not just the negative emotions but also that there is a a 
spectrum along those so talking about you know being happy we can talk about being content and and the spectrum within it because I think I know my nieces and nephews can be a bit like this where they're either happy or sad like yeah. you know that there's nothing in between and I think <laughs> as part of building those attachments that that great foundation it's trying to to stretch out those a bit isn't it in our interactions Absolutely. And I know you've uh, mentioned it on a few of your podcasts with other guests is that it, it's identifying those emotions and knowing what happy is and what kind of um, kind of sad is and and explaining that having that security is is somebody sitting down with them and, and talking about those emotions and um, and feeling OK to talk about those emotions and what is making them sad, what is making them happy. Um, so, again, it comes back to having that self-esteem to be able to respond to their own emotions when they get older yeah and that's hopefully something that you know we can build as practitioners um or or carers families um they, uh, we said at the beginning we're like this is a big topic isn't it but actually it's quite <laughs> nice to do it in a chunk and I think actually what you've done brilliantly is give a really nice overview of the topic that everyone listening will be able to take bits away from but I will I'm conscious of time so if you could just give us a bit of an overview a few top tips just to finish us off that'd be great yeah and, and I'm sorry if I've already touched upon them but it's, it's really kind of difficult to like you said to, to keep it um, streamlined but I think top tip one was um, kind of when your child is upset, angry or scared, um, support them with those emotions um, and allow them to express that. Um, talk about what what are they feeling? Why? What is making them sad? So it's the process of them also linking what is sad to that event. Um, so it's not just about you are sad. It's about like, okay, what has made you sad? How are we going to move forward from this? Um, but it's teaching them to co-regulate and then self-regulate. Um, and um, so in future, they become more familiar with their emotions and more familiar with the stimuli that has caused that emotion. Um, so always kind of talk to them about it it might be not straight away um they might be at a peak where they're in a crisis they're kind of kicking off and screaming this is talking about peak level but once they've started to uh, recover from that peak um then there needs to be kind of a in the professional sense it's like a debrief right mm. okay so what happened there um, but you can't do that when they're going through that crisis point um but um, it, it's about what you're doing at the time as well. Are you engaging with them? Um, or are you kind of doing something else whilst you're talking about emotions? You can't do both, basically. So top tip one is just, yeah, make sure you've got that time to sit and talk about that, those emotions. Um, I think number two, um, children don't know how to regulate. Mm. It's not a natural kind of instinct. Um, I think some children start to learn what they can do to when they're sad um, they might want to go to their bedroom and have a bit of quiet time important to to teach somebody to to regulate um, and again it goes through co-regulation and it, it's all about modeling that behavior as well so if if you're an adult and you aren't uh, modeling self-regulation that, that child isn't going to be learning appropriate kind of uh, regulatory tools um, so it's it's a case of you can't sit there and talking about an emotion and talk about how best to deal with the emotion if you're then going to be completely um, doing the opposite later mm -hmm. on um, because they're, what they're seeing and what they kind of um, are viewing is is important um, so yeah I think top two uh, top tip is to to make sure that um, you're modeling that and um, it, it's effective 
and embedded in the family. Um, children are very good at identifying whether something's been said just for kind of the purpose at the time when actually the environment's completely different. It, mm. it's, um, it, they're very quick to pick up on that. Um, I think top tip three, um, I think it's really important, and I mentioned it earlier about if if parents uh, and carers are struggling with their emotions as to how that then reflects on the child. Um, if you are struggling with your emotions, are you presenting that onto the child? Are you presenting that into the environment where the child is? That can have major impacts on whether the child feels safe. So is there a, an opportunity for parents and caregivers, just as much as professionals as well, if, they're, if teachers are really stressed, it's a very stressful environment, are they then perceiving that onto the child? Are they kind of expressing that onto the child? Mm. Um, and I think it's really important for um, parents, carers and professionals to to ensure that they are channeling that in a different um, in a different way. Um, so again, but it's teaching the child to look. I'm regulating because I'm going. I'm going to walk away from this um, kind of stressful environment now um, because I don't want to get angry. And that's really really positive, and that builds up secure attachment because ultimately children are sponges. Um, we talked about this sort of synaptic connections earlier, and they will identify. Well, kind of my parent is screaming and shouting because they're stressed that's learned that that's what I need to do when I'm stressed. Um, and that's a very broad kind of um, broad way of looking at it, but it's, it's linked. Um, and I'm allowed for, is it for? I don't know. Oh, yeah, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Go on, man. Um, <laughs> and I think kind of, again, we've talked about it in uh, throughout, but it, it's been present and th there is always the kind of concern about, um, the evolution of technology, the advance of social media and technology, and it's easy for families to become disconnected. You might all be sat in the same room, but all have your heads down. And I, again, I'm guilty of this. Um, before anybody that knows me starts kind of saying, well, I heard your podcast and um, <laughs> yeah, I saw you doing that the other day, Richard. Um, I am guilty of it. But again, it's like, if you've watched um, kind of your phone for two hours, what has your child been learning during that two hours? Have they been trying to get your attention? Um, have they been talking to the crown of your head because you've got your head um, down? And, and like I said earlier, is that feeding off facial expressions is so important for them to understand how that connects to emotions. Um, and um, it if you are not engaging with your child and you it's don't get me wrong families are very busy we've all got projects to be working on we've all got tea to be doing when they come home from from um, school and um, we've had a full day we've got a phone call to make um, it's really really difficult but ultimately you need to be setting some time um, to sit and engage with your child um, or if your child's saying come and play with me come and play with me is your phone important at the time or is it interacting with your child important at the time? Um, and I think that's always kind of something that is easy said than done. Don't get me wrong, but it's a valuable um, kind of opportunity to build up that secure attachment with that child. Yeah, that's really lovely tip really to, to end it with. I travelled down to London for the Women's FA Cup with uh, two of my nephews and my brother. And actually we could have quite easily, we all had our phones, we could have easily yeah. just sat on our phones because it would have, you know, really sat well on the train. But I just took a pack of cards, Uno cards, and we played Unos for two and a half Perfect. hours on the way back. I was pretty bored yeah. by the end. I'm going <laughs> to put it out there. I was a bit fed up of it. But my nephew's joy of doing that and the things that he learned from it of even like some math skills in it as well, just to be a nerdy teacher that I am as well. But um, yeah. that, that, that being present, that fun, that, that connection, I think that's a really great way to, to end uh, the episode. Excellent.
Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Richard. And uh, well, I'll catch up with you soon. No worries. Yeah. You've been listening to the My Family Coach podcast. Thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behaviour. Remember to subscribe to listen to all our episodes and there's heaps more helpful support for all your parenting needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.